0: Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18. And then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning, and Father, we petition You that You would open our hearts and our minds to the Spirit that You have given to us and that we would understand that He is fully God. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we may understand the significance of his being. Father, we praise you this morning and thank you for your goodness. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we come to what is the conclusion of our few sermons on the Holy Spirit, I thought it'd be good that we kind of consider an overarching aspect of who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about many things over the past few weeks about who the Holy Spirit is, what His ministry has been, about Him being the very sword, the Word of God, that He equips us, that He empowers us, that He brings us life and breath. So this morning, I want us to look at a few things that will point us to the direction through Scripture, that indicates to us that the Holy Spirit is not merely some power, not some energy source, but in fact He is a person, that He is truly God Himself. Because we need to understand this, because He is so misunderstood. He is considered to be nothing more than the power of God. Though it be true that God works His power in the Spirit, the Spirit is one person of the triune God, and so when we look at these this morning, there's, a, there's seven things, seven truths that that I want us to think about this morning. That tells us that the Holy Spirit is God. One, the Holy Spirit is a unique person of the triune God, one both with the Father and with the Son. Two, that the Holy Spirit is the agent of creation. Number three, that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. Number four, that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Number five, that the Holy Spirit is the God who sanctifies. Number six, that the Holy Spirit it was the Holy Spirit by which Christ was conceived. And the Holy Spirit is the power of the new birth. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is God. Even in 2 Corinthians 3.17, we read, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So even in this, the briefest of passages, we, we read and we understand that when we speak of the Spirit in that passage, He is uniting the Spirit to the Lord Himself, for the Spirit is the Lord. Which gives us that first aspect of understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person and that he is a part of the triune Godhead. And that's why I read this morning Matthew 28. This is a very significant passage to us. It is is part of the Great Commission. And he tells us, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Christ, our Lord, is telling us about all authority is given to him. And through that authority, he commands the church. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That is the commission of the church, to make disciples of all nations, all people groups. It is not to convert nations in the sense that make them Christian nations, but it is to bring converts from every tribe and tongue peoples and nations And he tells us what that should become what that should look like. He says, in bringing them to be disciples of Christ, it means that they are to be baptized and they are not to be baptized merely into Christ but into the entire Godhead, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so here we have a passage. That shows the equality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's the significance of what we, we go forth as a church, as the church of the living God, to bring about disciples of all nations. Not to moralize nations. Not to, not to change the nations, but to take out of each one of those nations of the world people set apart for God. And it is to be done within the entire power of the Godhead. If we are baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that is the dependence of the commission. It is the the marching order. He does not say, go, therefore... Baptize them in the name of the church. Baptize them in the name of the Pope. Baptize them in the name of your pastor. No, baptize them in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is one equal with one another. The Holy Spirit is a unique person within the triune Godhead. He is one with the Father. He is one With the Son. He is eternal. He is not created. But He proceeds from the Father and from the Son. For all eternity. God Himself. And He says that we are to do these things, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Which leads us back to the aspect that when we talk about Christ being with us, even in the first passage we looked at, that the Lord is the Spirit. By the Spirit of God, Christ is with us always. Therefore, as we go forth to make disciples, it is by the power of the Spirit who is God. We always think about it as a Spirit of God which is not inaccurate, but it is God the Spirit. It it seems to be a very easy thing for us to think of God the Father and God the Son. But when we think about God the Spirit, it is very easy to diminish that to nothing more than a power, nothing more than the energy of God. But it is, He is he is not it he is a member of the god here therefore he is god even in second corinthians 13:14 it says the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the communion of the holy spirit be with you all amen so again we even have in this one little verse the triune god and and paul gives us this this understanding that we want the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. This is so important to understand that the, the tri, the, the, out of the triune God, our communion is through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no communion with Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no communion with the Father. Even as we had learned previously that Christ had to leave in order for the Comforter, for the Spirit to come. Emmanuel, God with us. He is still with us. As God the Son entered into this world, God walked the earth with flesh and bone. He, he walked with, amongst the sinners. And yet when he was ascended on high, he remained by the Spirit. Therefore, when we think of Emmanuel, he has not gone away. He is still with us. He is with us by the third person of the Trinity. He is with us through God the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a unique person of the triune Godhead. As Christ is a unique person, and the Father is a unique person, and yet one of all. Yes, it's hard to understand the triune God with our finite minds, but though they are distinct in persons, they are one. In essence, So the same essence that is the Father is the same essence that is the Son. And it is the same and complete essence, which is the Holy Spirit. Which is important for us to understand because the reality is, is that when we think about creation and we think about the aspect that God created the heavens and the earth, as we even look at Genesis 1, and he says, In the beginning God created the heavens, and the earth. And so we know that it was God who created, but by how and by whom was the creation done? There is no accident here that he says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. God, the Spirit was active and present in the creation of the world. So when it says that God created in the beginning, he created by the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is the agent of creation. He even says, and that's when he begins to say, then God said, let there be. And we can understand this because we will see later when we talk about the author of Scripture that God breathed. And it is God's breathing that creates. It's His voice that creates. And that is through the Spirit of the living God. God, the Spirit. So we have to think about how God operates And when we see creation happening, it is through the Spirit Himself that things came into existence. Each time He said, let there be. Let there be. And even in Job 26, 13, it says, by His Spirit He adorned the heavens. And we know elsewhere it says that God set every star in its place. And when we combine these passages and understand that the Spirit of God is God the Spirit, it was God the Spirit who set every star in place and gave each one a name that the heavens may display the glory of God. So in creation, we have the activity Of God the Spirit bringing all things together and allowing all things to become. The power that goes forth from God is the Spirit. God the Spirit is the power that emits into the universe, that emit, emitted into all of the darkness and that which was not. And said, let it be. And brought all things into existence. You know, I, I say that in the darkness, I don't know what was there. I don't know how. I, I assume that it was nothing but light, actually. I mean, think about that. When there was nothing but God... My assumption would have to be there was nothing but light. Because God is light. That darkness became part of the creation. It's an assumption. And it makes sense when we realize that it is the light of God. That spirit that that illuminates all things that very glory that shined. And so that's an assumption, that before there was anything, the illuminating light of God existed for all eternity. And so the Holy Spirit is a unique person, a unique person of the triune Godhead. He is also the agent of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by the Spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. We know that only God knows all. We know that only God can be in every place at all times. We know that only God has no boundary. And if we look at Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So the psalmist is telling us here that the Spirit is where He is. There is no place that we can go where the Spirit of God is not present. He is God because He is omniscient. He is God because He is omnipresent. He is God because He possesses the character and qualities of God. So consider that. When we think about how we, always, we, we talk like that, don't we? God sees us all the time. There's no place we can hide from God. But by what manner does God see us? By God the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is always there wherever we are. I mean, think about what he's saying here. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? So he's giving us this aspect that where the Spirit is is the present presence of God. And he's making the statement that there is no place. He says, even if I, were, if I was to ascend into the heavens... You would be there. But even if I was to make my bed in hell, if I was to be buried, if I was to to hide myself in the depths of the earth, even there you will find me. Even there you will be. You know, this is an interesting thing to think about because if we think about hell in the aspect of, of the place of torment... You hear people talk all the time about hell being the separation from God. I I hate to break it to people. There is no separation from God. The question is, is what is the relationship you will have with God in all eternity? Will he be in the presence of God as he administers his wrath to you for all eternity, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, or will you be spending eternity in his glory? as His radiance shines its light in the heaven. You see, He is there. There are people who think that that hell is going to be a great place because God's not going to be there. But He will be. And He will unleash the fullness of His eternal wrath upon the reprobate of this world that has ever been and ever will be. And do you know what we will be doing that day? We'll be praising God for the execution of His wrath upon the reprobate, even those who we may have loved in this world. We will not find sorrow when those that we may love in one way or another who do not know the Lord perish in eternal fire. We will rejoice that God has rid us of the evil. Wherever we are, that's where God is. And now let's think think about that again, as if we were to ascend to heaven. Because we can look at this in a sense where we pull from it this, this, this aspect that when we are in heaven though he speaks more here, I believe, of the heavens. We will be with him where he is. We will see face to face the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you considered that? The very face of God that we will see is the very face of Jesus Christ, the man. That is the one we will see. That is the one that we are going to bow down to. And we will cast our crowns before his feet. But we will have God the Spirit present as well. And when we cast our crowns at the feet of Christ, we are casting our crowns to the feet of the Spirit and the feet of God the Father. For when Christ stands there, he represents the Godhead. The same way as the Spirit who is in us represents the Godhead. The same way as the Father acts in all of creation as he represents the entire Godhead. They are never apart and they are never without one another in their work. It's the fullness of who God is. And so God, he is omniscient. He knows all things. Because he has put together all things, and he has declared and decreed all things. He is omnipresent, for God cannot be contained. Therefore, the Spirit of God we cannot escape. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. 2 Peter 1.21 For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we've gone over a lot of this because of our Sunday school class. But here we see that the very canon of Scripture, that which we hold to as the authority of the church, the authority of the individual saints of God, His children, was given to us by God the Spirit. As he moved upon men. You see, when we think about trusting the word of God, why is it we trust it? For this reason right here. For the true author of scripture was not Paul. The true author of scripture was not Moses. It was not Peter, but it was the Holy Spirit who moved them along who imparted into them the Word of God. Not always by dictation, as we see with Jeremiah. So much of what Jeremiah wrote was a dictation. Thus says the Lord. The Lord told him, write this down. The Lord told him what to say. But much of it was just what the Spirit was doing in their lives, carrying them along, And putting down just what God the Spirit intended for them to write for you and I. To give us all that we needed. Even in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness that the man of God may be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word here where it says given by inspiration is God-breathed. And we know that the word breathe is the word for spirit. And we know that in creation when he said he breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being, it was the very spirit of God- that brought about life of man. The very Spirit, God, the Spirit, moved to bring life into existence. The very utterance of God. And here we see that all the scripture we have is by the Holy Spirit, for He breathed. Even as we learned earlier about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He gives us that which is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, which is the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. It is the spirit of the living God that divides our flesh from the spirit, our old man from the new man. It is the active Word of God. That's why it says it's alive and active. The Word of God is alive and active because that sword, that double-edged sword, is the sword of the Spirit. It's powerful and active. You see, the Spirit never ceases to work. We're not deists. We're not those who think that God created everything and just left us to ourselves. We believe that God gave us all that we needed, and He gave us Himself. As a matter of fact, when we think about what our great reward is in heaven, it isn't mansions. It isn't riches. The reality is it's not even eternal life. But the greatest reward that we receive is God. He says, I am your great reward. But consider that when we look to eternity and we consider that God is our great reward, he's already given himself to us. He gave himself to us by the person and work of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. He gave himself to us in becoming that person That propitiation, that sacrifice for all eternity. That he took upon himself the full measure of wrath and gave himself to us. But then he goes even farther and he gives us his spirit. So we can think about that day of glory when we really recognize that that the Godhead is our is our great reward. But in one sense, we already have that. We have been given God the Spirit, who dwells in us and is in the pages of Scripture. Is that sword that we spoke of, about wielding it, utilizing it, that it destroys sin in us, and it brings about righteousness, because only God can bring about righteousness in us. And so it's not about the mere words, because every printed word on this paper that I have in front of me today is dead. It's just words. It's not the printed text. There's nothing about the binded pages. I cannot hold up my Bible and extinguish the arrows of Satan. No, it's the living, active word that extinguishes it. It's knowing that, just as Christ himself utilized when he was led into the desert. And every time Satan came to him against his flesh, he said, It is written. He did not hold his Bible up and say, I can have all that this says I can have. I can do all that it says I can do. He had no mantra to the word of God. He utilized the sword, drew it from its sheath, and destroyed the temptation that was set before him. Because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, because it is the sword of God of God the Spirit. And we've got to think about this because that is the one tangible thing we hold, the one tangible thing we can see every day. I want you to consider the Word of God for a moment. When we think about history, and we think back 2,000 years ago and say, well, What must it have been like to to have been a disciple, an apostle of the living God during that time when when Christ walked with them? What must it have been like when when Christ was falsely accused of sin and and, and, and he was was taken through a mock court and then he was brutalized and, and hung upon the cross and he died and rose again. And the witnesses were were many. And they, they saw the risen Savior. What an amazing thing. But do you know what Christ says about that? Think about Lazarus and the rich man. As the rich man would pass Lazarus day by day. And Lazarus dies. And then the rich man dies. And the rich man goes to hell. And he looks up and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And he said, have Lazarus, bring me some water. And he tells him very clearly, no one can come from there to here or from here to there. Then he says, then send him to my family that he may warn them. Because if someone was to raise from the dead, Surely they would believe. But what was Christ's response? He says, They have Moses and the prophets. If they do not believe them, they will not believe when a man is raised from the dead either. He was speaking of himself. Because even when he was raised from the dead, they still hated him. They still. They still ridiculed him and they doubted that he was the Messiah. You see, we have something greater than that eyewitness. Then, being there, we have the eternal Word of God. We have the prophets and Moses, we have the apostles, the teachers of God's holy Word. Because all of that was given to us by the Spirit of the living God. You see, we have that which God says He upholds His creation with. By the utterance of His lips, He sustains all things. The Spirit of the living God, when you open your Bible and you look into the words... Do not look at them like you're reading a daily devotion. You see, I I, I tend to have problems with people who tell me they have their daily devotion. Because most people, when they talk about their daily devotion, they're just going through emotion. Yes, I had my quiet time this morning. And I read, uh, I can't remember where I read Because the Spirit of God is alive, powerful. If you are are digging into God's Word, the Spirit of God is alive and active in you. It's more than just a devotion. It is life. As even Colossians 3 tells us, if then we have been raised with Christ, set our hearts on things above Set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. How do we do that? If we only think, oh, he's there, he's there. It's a mystical aspect. But when we look at the word of God, and even if we go to continue to go through Colossians 3, when he says, for your life is hidden with him, it is no longer yours. You see... There's a reality that the scriptures tell us that not even when we see a man who raises from the dead will convict us. As a matter of fact, what did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 15, what did he say? He said this Christ, this gospel, that as it was written, he died. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see, it's the scriptures. And even as it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, you see, just because someone sees a man come from the dead, it is not enough. It's knowing that we have the sword of the Spirit. It's knowing that we have the Spirit of God. God the Spirit dwelling in us to illuminate the truth of all that has been pinned by the men that the Spirit carried along. See, that's, that's the key here. That's why it's so important to understand that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture and the importance of Scripture and the dynamics of Scripture, the power of Scripture. You know, it's interesting. Still, when we go back to to Paul's prodding about the Scripture and the evidence of Christ being raised from the dead. He brought about all the witnesses said how many people saw it. But his main thrust was about the Word of God. Because that was the proof. That was the significance that when this man rose from the dead and these men saw him, why is that significant? Because the Word of God said it was going to happen just the way it happened. And it proved that that man was the Messiah. He's the author of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is a unique person of a triune God. He is the agent of creation. He is omniscient and omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And with that, He is also the one who sanctifies. In John 17, 17, He says, Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your word is truth. And we just talked about that. That the sanctification is through the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So when we see this statement being made by our Savior to the Father, He is in a sense saying, sanctify them through the Spirit of the living God who illuminates to them the very sword which you have given them. The very words that have come from the mouth of God. So he is the Spirit. He is the God who sanctifies. You see, he is the most active, the most active person of the Trinity. The Spirit is continually doing all the work Without the Spirit, there is nothing else. Even Christ, as he walked this earth, walked in the power of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is the most active person out of the three in their individual work. Christ has come. Christ lived the perfect life. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. And He mediates for us every day through the gospel. He mediates for us because of His resurrection. But the activity is taking place through the Spirit. For it is the Spirit that even brings our minds to understand these things. It is by the Spirit that we are sanctified. It was by the Holy Spirit that Christ himself was conceived. In Matthew 1.18, says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Are we starting to see a a connection here in all the things that we've seen the Spirit do and all the activity of the Spirit? It was even the Spirit, God the Spirit, who brought the conception about within Mary the Lord Jesus Christ. For she had not laid with a man, and yet her womb began to grow. And she began to carry the very Son of God within her, the very Messiah that was to come, the Savior of the world, the Shepherd of the sheep, the Son by whom we are all adopted through. And it all came because of the power of the Spirit, God. You see, God's all-powerful. God is the one. And so therefore, to think of The Spirit, as anything other than God himself, is to diminish the Spirit of God, is to diminish the entire Godhead. So therefore, it is through the Spirit that Jesus Christ himself came. And the Spirit, if there was no Spirit, there would be no new birth. If there was no spirit, there would be no ability to see the kingdom of God. You see, he is the agent of the new birth. He is the power of the new birth. You see, it was Christ who came into the world, the second person that tr- who came in the world and took care of the issues. He took care of the problem. He took care of the sin. His work was necessary to deliver us from Satan, the world, and the wrath of God. But it is by the Holy Spirit that the gospel is administered unto us. You see, this is one of the key elements to, to what we believe in this church. I'm not smart enough to believe in Christ. As a matter of fact, does not the Scripture tell us very clearly that the gospel is foolishness to the world? It's insanity. It's ridiculous. A man rose from the dead? And the reason this is, is because we're dead in our sins and trespasses. And the reality is, as no flesh inherits the kingdom of God. Scripture tells us. In John 3, starting in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So first of all, we have something happening here. We must be born again. Or we cannot even discern, see, understand the kingdom of God, the things of God. We cannot look into his kingdom. We cannot hold on to his kingdom. We cannot seek his kingdom unless we are born again. Of course, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say, To you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So he's given us the understanding here that one must be born in the flesh, but that's not enough. Because what's born of the water, what's born of the flesh is flesh. But there must be a birth into the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God. There has to be something more. And the reality is, unless you are born, there's never a breath taken. We must breathe. And so we must have a breath of the new life, of being born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Now think about that. This is so reasonable when we consider this passage and how it proceeds along. It is the most reasonable passage we can think of when Christ himself is telling us that I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we can conclude very clearly that when he speaks of this, that the kingdom of God is of a spiritual matter, that it is not of a fleshly matter. Something must happen, and it means that there's something that must happen to each one of us to see the kingdom of God. And it means that it must be born of the Spirit. We must be born again. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Think about that. Even if we were to go back to what we just said about Mary, Christ was born in a supernatural manner. Remember, when Christ was here He had the fullness of the Spirit because he truly was conceived of the Spirit. From the moment of his conception, he could see the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to say, Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, the new life we talk about, that, that new man that we talk about, it is born of the Spirit. We always talk about, you can hear it in many circles, the, the baptism of the Spirit. The significance is that we're born of the Spirit. That's exactly how this is. Everyone who is born of the Spirit is whom the Spirit blows upon as the wind blows. You understand what that's telling us, right? It is by the Spirit of God that I can even see the gospel of Jesus Christ as real. When the gospel is preached to a man, the only thing that sets that apart from fiction is the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God. You see, I want you to think about this for a moment. You are born of the Spirit. I want you to catch that in here. When the Word of God says that we are not our own, this confirms it. It is not my flesh that says God should love me by. But it is by the Spirit of the living God that I am now born of. Which means that it is, the, it is God the Spirit whom brings us life. Even as in the creation of man, life was brought about by the breath of God being breathed into Adam and becoming a living soul. The same thing is true to us. That when the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, breathes upon you, you are given life as being born of the Spirit. For Christ came as a life giver. And that life is given to us by the Spirit of God. So when we look at these and we bring all of these together and we begin to realize that the Holy Spirit is one of the three. He is one of the unique persons of the triune God. He is one and many. The Holy Spirit was the agent in creation. The Holy Spirit is omniscient, omnipresent, and contains all the characteristics that we speak of God about. The Holy Spirit is who authored the Word of God and carried men along and breathed out that double-edged sword that pierces even dividing soul and spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are sanctified in the Word of Truth. It is by the Holy Spirit who gave birth to the Son of God in the flesh. And it is by the Holy Spirit that you and I have been born into a new creation and that we have now become children of God. For you and I have been born of the Spirit. And therefore, since flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, it is in the activity of the Spirit Regenerating us into a new man, a spiritual man that gives us access to God's kingdom, to his glory, to everlasting life. There is no doubt that the Holy Spirit is God himself. And he has done the work to bring us new life and the power to glorify God in all that we do. Let's pray. Most glorious God and Father, as we come to you now, we praise you for your spirit. We praise the spirit for he is God. And thank you for your empowerment. Thank you for all that you have done in all of creation from the very beginning, even until now, until glory is before our eyes. Oh, how we, glow. We, we praise you, Father. I pray, O oh Lord, that our hearts would be overwhelmed with the truth of your Spirit, the truth of the work that he does in us continually, that we would realize we are not alone, but he enables us in all matter of life and godliness. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.